Guilt and shame are sometimes used interchangeably, but they are not the same. Guilt is, hey, I did something wrong and I feel bad about that act. I shouldn't have done that. Shame is, I am bad. There is something wrong with me. I am broken. I am the problem. Not the action, but I. There's something wrong with me. So much of the work for men to becoming effective, solid, grounded, clear masculine leaders starts with our ability to hold the feminine expression within ourselves and then hold the feminine expression within our partners. Now, today's podcast is one clear example of how we can do that, how we can show up with the energy of team. And also what I found time and time again, when we have solid containers where men can come together to hear each other, to share, to receive feedback, to receive reflections, it can be such a useful tool and environment to hone in our capacity to becoming effective and more solid masculine leaders. The next Men of Movement retreat is happening in Mount Shasta, California, November 10th through the 12th. If you're a man who is interested in an experience like this, go ahead and click the link in the show notes and we'll hop on a call today. Welcome to the Path Podcast. I'm Mike Salemi. I believe that uncharted trails make the best life stories. So take a deep breath, put one foot in front of the other, and trust the ground under your feet. Join me in discussions on health, performance, business, leadership, and spiritual self-mastery because these topics are windows into how well each of us have learned to trust our own path. Let's go. Today on the show, we're bringing on Mimi Lindquist. Now, Mimi is the co-host of the Medicine Podcast, along with her partner, Chase, and she has a background as a clinical dental hygienist, culinary nutrition expert, and AHCC educator. The topic of today's show is all around HPV, which truth be told, prior to today's show, I didn't have much knowledge or understanding of it. And what I found fascinating was that it applies to both men and women. And we unpack this topic. We discuss the mental and emotional detriments of STIs. And you're going to learn new holistic ways that you can bring healing as well as an energy of team to this topic. Now let's get into the show. So one thing that came up as I was reflecting on today's interview, it was, you know, this, the HPV, so human papillomavirus? Correct. Okay. So with that, I'm just curious, first and foremost, why did you choose to devote so much time, so much energy into diving into this and making this just a big part of your life's work? Yeah, it's a good question. I would say the overarching answer to that, because there's many little answers, little things, events that have occurred in my life up until this point that have been pointing me towards this direction. But I would say the overarching reason I feel compelled to to get involved here is because I connect with women who feel very alone and isolated and feel like um, they don't have anyone to talk to, answers. Um, that's kind of the high level. I, I, I want to be a support system. So my, I have a really strong guide archetype um, that wants to be expressed in me. And it's how I connect with people. Um, and so knowing that there's something out there 
that is so helpful for people who are in this position and navigating HPV. It like pains me to know that something exists that can be helpful and to not say anything or to not share or to not speak out about it. It is almost painful. It's very uncomfortable for me. Um, But more on a practical and logistical side of it, I guess, is um, when I started learning about AHCC and medicinal mushrooms and really diving into the research behind it, I attended the International Congress on Nutrition and Integrative Medicine in Sapporo, Japan in 2019. And this is like a red carpet event for different researchers and physicians who come from all over the world to share and to listen to the newest research in on AHCC that's happening in the world. And one of the, this was just like, a red carpet event for me. I was just like in heaven. I was a sponge for two full days just hearing about this research. And one of the researchers, her name is Dr. Judith Smith out of Texas, had shared some of her ongoing research that was happening at the time. It wasn't published yet because this trial was ongoing. Um, But she shared some preliminary results and some preliminary unpublished data around HPV and AHCC that just blew my mind. And with my experience and history of being a dental hygienist, as a dental hygienist, you're going through every single medical history with every single patient that you see. And what I was noticing is that there's, this is really common. A lot of women are dealing with this thing, HPV. And um, I, up until that point, I had not seen or heard of any sort of treatment or cure or anything. And so when I heard this research from Dr. Judith Smith, my jaw was on the floor and I was like, uh, people need to know about this. Like, how is this not in every gynecology office and oncology office out there? How is this not more, more mainstream? <laughs> and so I took that information back to the United States and just started sharing on my Instagram just from my heart. And, you know, I would mention AHCC and that it was helpful for a bunch of different diseases and conditions, one of them being HPV. I would go on different podcasts and be interviewed by certain people. And after those podcasts would come out, I would get droves and droves and droves of women who were like, oh my God, I heard you mention AHCC on this podcast, or I saw this on your story. Can you tell me more? I've been, you know, looking for an answer. And so I really started to see that there was no real answers being given to these women when they're coming out of their doctor's office. And so when I saw this response from people who were following me and hearing me on podcasts, I was like, okay, there's even more of a need than I thought there was. And once I started hearing the stories coming from women, I mean, stories that just like break your heart Mm -hmm. about the amount of shame or being shamed by either their gynecologist or their boyfriend, their husband, um, friends in their life. It just broke my heart, honestly. And I just decided, you know, this is a space where I can speak directly to women. I can help women. And um, I just took up the mantle. I decided to, you know what, I'm going to be an advocate in this space. And I feel like certain life experiences have led me to this very, um, I would say like niche (laughs) purpose because 
I I have an experience that I know of uh, HPV, but I feel a very strong pull to advocate for these women in this way with my knowledge and experience on HCC and medicinal mushrooms and uh, the values that I hold around holistic health. Then the four years of guiding women through this process of clearing it and supporting their body, my relationship with Dr. Nathan Riley, our friendship, our shared values, um, how we approach health, and then also the piece around shame. I carried shame in my body for a long time. Um, you know, in connection to my marriage and divorce and how I carried myself in my marriage. Like I know what the frequency of shame feels like in the body. And I've done a lot of work over the past few years to release that shame and release myself from that negative story and start to create and believe a new story about myself. So I feel compelled to share that process with women who are experiencing shame in regard to an HPV diagnosis or men for that matter. But most of the people who find me uh, and are looking for answers are women. So that's kind of high level (laughs) why I feel so compelled and strongly about this topic. Well, I super appreciate the work that you're doing. And this is a conversation that as me and you were chatting just briefly before we recorded earlier today, this is a topic that I honestly don't know very much about. So there's a deep curiosity of it. And then when you were sharing just how many people suffer from this or experience this, you know, I'm again, very grateful that we're having this discussion to start illuminating some of these things. And actually one step back for clarification, what does AHCC stand for? AHCC stands for active hexose correlated compound. It's a total mouthful. (laughs) Um, I realized that. I wish the name was a little snappier, a little sexier, but it's not. And that's okay. Um, It is basically a cultured mycelial product that comes from shiitake mushrooms. And we can get deeper into HCC if you like, but that's what it stands for. Active hexose correlated compound. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Mouthful for sure. (laughs) And also just taking a half step back, uh, HPV to my understanding is an STI, so a sexually transmitted infection. But it's also a cluster of viruses. So there's over 150 different strains of human papillomavirus and about 40 of those strains are sexually transmitted but it's mostly transmitted from skin to skin contact. So sometimes you'll see little kids with like little warts on their hand or their elbow. Those likely are not sexually transmitted. It's probably, you know, skin to skin from school or daycare or something. So there are some that are not sexually transmitted. Okay. Okay. Understood. Very cool. You know, a lot of the people listening to this podcast, we've got men and women for sure. I would say predominantly men just as a result of the type of work that I do with men being such prevalent right now, especially where I'm most passionate about. And I want to just break down first, just some of the stigmas that you've experienced and heard from both men and women around STIs in general. So what are the conversations that are being had or not had in the household among men and women? Yeah, this is a it's a really great question. So some of the stigmas, um, the the exact words that I hear from women and from men are something like I feel dirty, I feel mm-hmm. gross, I feel like my body's betrayed me. I you know I've only had sex with one person or two people. How could this happen? I you know I've heard everything from a woman was a virgin until she got married and 
was exposed from her husband who had been with other people prior. And, you know, she's a virgin going into marriage and still exposed to this thing. And the the stigma, I think, I mean, I have a lot of thoughts around where this shame comes from deep in, in, in our society. But on the surface level, I think is because it is sexually transmitted, there is this stigma that you are probably having, you're getting around a little, a little bit more. You're maybe some, maybe cavalier in your sexuality or whatever. And that's just not the case. It's just not the reality. Certainly that can happen. I mean, the more partners that you have, it's just a numbers game where you're more likely to be exposed to something like HPV. Uh, but yeah, there is a, there's a, for sure, a negative stigma around this infection. And it's, it baffles me because it's like any other infection in the body, say like pneumonia, an infection in the lung area. You know, no one is shaming people who get cancer or diabetes or whatever. It's like, man, it's so unfortunate that that specific area of the body, if there's an infection there, that it's somehow linked to your worth or your value or how clean or unclean you are, which is just like preposterous. And I think on a deeper level, we, our society generally, you know, 90 to 95% of people in America identify as some sort of being part of some sort of religion. And if those roots are deep in you, I know for me, I grew up in evangelical Christianity. I know that world very, very well. And how this is not a knock on any sort of religion or, or Christianity or anything. It's just, this is the reality that people who are, who grow up in religious households are very familiar with shame and fear around sex and sexuality. There's not one religion that I know of that is promoting like, hey, go out and get get out there and learn, you know? Like it's sort of weaponized for, well, you better not do this or else. And that was my upbringing. And so I think having such a prominent um, underlying link to um, religion in our society has has its roots in our brain that if this happens, if if there's an STI or an unwanted pregnancy or something like that, that it could be rooted in your beliefs around sex and sexuality that might go back to when you were growing up in a religious home. This is just my opinion. This is this is not something that there's been tons of studies on and that I can cite research or anything. I'm simply speaking from my experience, my own experience, and then um, the last four years of speaking to women who are carrying this shame. They usually have slightly dogmatic religion in the back of their brain that that could be linking shame and sexuality. I think that's a super important thing that you just touched on. And I've never shared this on any podcast I've ever been on. And growing up, so I grew up primarily Catholic. So I went to CCD classes. I went to uh, a Catholic high school and then went to a Jesuit college. And so I've really been steeped in those traditions. Now, everyone, like you said, has their own experience around it. And so just speaking anecdotally from my own experience, that shame piece 
since a young child has been so strong and there's been a belief that I've continually have had to do work on. And now with the awareness, I've truly gone to a much, much, much healthier place. However, it's so rooted in the belief for me personally that there's something wrong with me or Mm -hmm. that there is an imperfection. Now that has a whole slew of manifestations. But I remember, Mimi, when I was in, shoot, um, I think it was like in seventh grade when we had sex education. And I remember when I was learning, like it wasn't presented very well. And that combined with how I experienced religion growing up, I really attributed something being wrong with me. And whether it was around sinning, around sex, there was so much confusion as a young man. And I just wish, wish someone for heaven's sake would have sat me down and just told me and and held space for me to have those feelings and those emotions and reminded me that there is nothing wrong with me. And like I said, this has taken so many shapes and forms, but it is one of the core false beliefs that I've had to continually be mindful. It's probably one of the deepest wounds I've had. Mm. And so this is something that whether it's uh, sin or STIs, whatever it is, I am very present to the detriment and the deflation and the confusion that not having the information that we're talking about right now can do to a young man or do to a young woman at at any freaking age. So again, this is why I feel this conversation is so important, whether you're a male or a female. And one of the things that, again, speaking candidly, I didn't know very much about this and still don't, which is why we're discussing this right now. And when you and I were chatting, you broke down some statistics. And so I was hoping you could, you know, bring those to the surface and let's unpack those a little bit and how that can impact and influence relationships, especially on the challenges that men and women can face. Yeah, yeah. I thank you for for sharing your piece and your insight there. I just want to piggyback on that for a second and say... <laughs> It would have been great if someone would have sat down and explained to you like, hey, all the things that you're feeling in your body happening right now, this means that you're actually a healthy young man, right? Like now in in 2023, we see all of these issues with young people not having sex drive and not being able to conceive and having fertility issues. And I don't know if you're familiar with the work of Shauna Swan. I think is her name. Um, she's showing that all the chemicals in the air and the hormone disruptors that we're being exposed to and little kids being exposed to these at a young age now, plastics, it's affecting us on a hormonal level, which eventually can lead to low or no sex drive. So the fact that you and I were normal seventh grade, eighth grade or high schoolers that were interested in this is actually a good sign. Mm. I'm of the mind, as long as my kid is like, you know, interested in it at all at a, at a decent age, I'm going to be like, hell yeah, you're healthy. You know, like my mind has completely changed on this topic. And I, you at least had sex ed. I had none, but our school wanted to pretend that it didn't even exist. So it was on us to like figure it out. And so there's a lot left in the cracks. Anyways, I could talk about that topic for the entire podcast. I won't, but answering your question, you know, the the statistics are kind of alarming. And I didn't know these statistics until I started digging in and really researching this. I didn't know how exactly how common it was. But the reality is, is that 
90% of men and 80% of women who are sexually active will be exposed to one of the strains of HPV at some point in their life. That's basically everyone. (laughs) Yet 70% of adults, people over 18, have never even heard of HPV. So how in the world are we supposed to navigate this as men and women who are most likely going to come into contact with it at some point in our lives if we don't even know what it is or if we do test positive, what the heck do we do then? Is this something that, you know, is with me for the rest of my life? Do, is it ethical to, you know, to have sex with my partner or my boyfriend or girlfriend? Like all these questions run through people's minds when they get diagnosed, because again, there's just no education on it. And so, yeah, it is pretty alarming, the prevalence and, you know, speaking to the, the masses, the millions, there's about 80 million people in America who have at least one strain of HPV in their body. Those are the ones that are diagnosed, by the way. Those are not even the people that have no idea that they have it, never been diagnosed. And there's 14 million new cases diagnosed every year in the United States. So anyone out there who's navigating this, first off, take a sigh of relief because you are absolutely not alone. Mm. A lot, a lot of people are also navigating this. Wow. I What you just shared there, I think is so powerful. And I just want to anchor it in because not just in this situation, but in so many situations from the work I've done with women, the work I've done with men over the years, that idea that you're not alone, hearing that you are not alone is probably one of the most healing things any of us can hear. That validation and not just sweeping it under the rug, but actually having an open and honest and heartfelt conversation so that safety can be created around any of these challenging topics, but a topic like this, that is the effing prerequisite for healing. (laughs) But if there's shame or there's anything that we've learned from religion, from society, from our parents, whatever, it's going to be so much more challenging, one, to have an understanding of it, two, to actually accept and acknowledge, then three, to actually have the courage and the curiosity to move forward in a healthy way. So I think that is absolutely critical. And one thing that I'm curious about with that magnitude of men specifically carrying this virus, in men specifically, does it tend to be therefore asymptomatic or what tends to show up in men and then what tends to show up in women? Is everybody symptomatic in some way or how does that work out? Yeah, so it's a great question. So there, uh, amongst these strains uh, that are sexually transmitted, there are a group of strains that are considered low risk. These would be the strains that would be more associated with say like genital warts or benign growths. So in this case, if there's a low risk strain, you might see something pop up, uh, but not necessarily. They're called low risk because they're, they don't necessarily lead to something like cervical cancer or anal cancer or penile cancer. So they're not linked to the cancers, but they do have the physical manifestation sometimes of growths or warts. Then on the other hand, we have the uh, high-risk strains that are named because they can lead to certain types of cancer if they're left untreated or unaddressed. I will say that that incidence is still very low. Your probability of contracting cervical cancer or the like just because you have HPV is less than 1%, but it's not zero. 
Um, so those are named high risk because they can lead to things like cervical dysplasia and different types of cancer. So in the high risk strains, you likely will, whether you're a woman or a man, you likely will not have any indication that there is something wrong with you. So this is why it's really important for women to keep going into their gynecologist to get screened because they will do that pap screen. And then if they see something abnormal, they will do uh, an HPV test and they will see if that HPV, if the that virus is present. Um, and I would say for the men listening, if your girlfriend or wife or partner has tested positive for a high risk strain and you guys are having a sexual relationship, there's a, a high, high, high probability that it's you've been exposed to it and that your body is probably trying to integrate that message as well. So low risk strains, there can be manifestations. High risk strains, you likely will not see any. Okay. Okay. Thank you for clarifying that. And when it comes to actually screening or diagnostic measures, is this something that is, I would imagine if I recall when I did, I don't know if it was a blood test or something like that, but there was an STI, STI category or something like that. Is this something that you need to purposely check off? Because I know you said they do an exam and then if, it's, if they exhibit some symptoms, they will do that test. For men and for women, is this something that you have to specifically have conscious intent or awareness around to check off? Or is this something that's also more generally screened for when you go to, I don't know, a routine blood test or how does that look? Yeah. So for, for men and for women, it's different. <clears throat> for women, they'll go in and get their pap screening and they won't have to tell their doctor, hey, I also want to be screened for HPV. They can say that, but first the doctor will do the test. And if they see anything abnormal, they will order an HPV test until about age 21, I think it is. And then the HPV test is pretty routine. So it's not necessarily something you need to ask for. You can confirm if you want to have the test. Um, but for men, this is really frustrating for me. For men, there is no easy, simple, FDA-approved test to know if you are carrying a high-risk strain of HPV. Now, if you're carrying a low-risk strain and there is a, a word or a growth or something, you can go into your doctor and they can probably do a visual screening and confirm, yes, this looks like a low-risk strain. But the high-risk strains, um, there is no current test for men that you can walk into your clinic and say, hey, I want to be tested for HPV. To the best of my knowledge, the last time I looked, which was like last week, I, I try and stay updated on this on this as much as possible. And you know, Dr. Nathan Riley, he's very well informed in this area. And he has seen the same, that there is no test for men. What is frustrating is that the technology exists because they do study men and HPV. You can look up on Google Scholar or PubMed, you can type in HPV and men, and you'll find studies that they've done where they do test men. Why aren't they making this available to the public, to every Planned Parenthood, to every general practitioner? I don't have a good answer for that. And I wish I did, but it's, it is very frustrating because this is a team effort. This is not a woman's issue. It's not woman papillomavirus. It's human papillomavirus. And men and women are, can both carry it and, and not know. So why aren't we, if we really wanted to address 
public health concerns and all of that. Like, why wouldn't this be available to men? I don't have a good answer. Mm, Okay, that's fascinating. One of the things that I would love to hear your thoughts on is with the technology that we have today in so many areas, you know, having a diagnosis and getting clarity can be incredibly empowered, empowering to determine the next best course of action. However, there also is a lot of weight when someone gets any diagnosis. And I know we've touched on it a little bit before, but I'd love with the, with the lens of when someone gets diagnosed, what are some of the things that you tend to see mental and emotionally? And again, I know we touched on it earlier, but I think it's really important because I've seen so many people in the last 18 years of doing this work that sometimes the diagnosis, whether it's correct, incorrect, or there's a level of sensitivity or, or what, it can completely alter someone's mental emotional state, their level of just security and well-being and safety and comfort in their own body. So when, what are some of the consequences of when someone is diagnosed? We're going to use this in specific, but what do you tend to see with that? I hear about a lot of shame immediately, like I've touched on. That shame piece is so huge and I can't speak to it enough. Um, Shame is a really, really low frequency (laughs) to hold in the body. If we want to get on the energetic level, it it is a very low frequency. It's not Guilt and shame are sometimes used interchangeably, but they are not the same. Guilt is, hey, I did something wrong and I feel bad about that act. I shouldn't have done that. Shame is, I am bad. There is something wrong with me. I am broken. I am the problem. Not the action, but I. There's something wrong with me. And that's what I hear a lot from, from men and from women is carrying shame with this diagnosis. One, because they think that they're like alone or they think that it's really rare maybe, or they just don't know the, the statistics and the incidents. And, and they might think that they're like, I did something wrong. Oh, I shouldn't have slept with so-and-so. Why did I do that? And it's like, it doesn't even matter because it can also live in the body for years before it pops up as positive. So that's really, really challenging. So the shame piece is huge. But then I would say because of that shame, people go inward They in a, in a negative way where they isolate. They're not wanting to ask questions about it. They're wanting to get rid of it as soon as possible, which means that they might move forward with treatment or procedures or shots that their doctor is recommending before they've really gone into the research themselves or gotten a second opinion or talked to someone else who has gone through it. There's just not, no one wants to talk about this. No one wants to talk about it. And so it's really hard to just walk up to someone or to text your friend or to you know share on Instagram or social media about this and ask for help and support. So HPV is not a... It's a slow acting virus, I will say. It takes years and sometimes decades to develop something like cancer. So that's actually a positive that it's very slow acting. But what makes it more dangerous is the shame and the isolation that people feel that, 
you know, causes them to censor and to not want to talk about it, not ask questions and to, to maybe move forward with the more invasive procedures that may not be necessary yet because they want to feel like they're doing something when the reality is, is that they have time to, to clear this. They can support their body in holistic and natural ways and support the immune system. And they're just not getting that education from their doctor. It's, there's a massive lack in education and support and guidance in this space. And it's really, really sad to hear the stories that are that, that come out uh, from these offices. And yeah, so I would say the shame and the isolation are two huge pieces. And then that kind of pushes people towards maybe procedures that they could have avoided if they would have had some more information about their diagnosis. Mm-hmm. I'm really grateful that you mentioned in terms of that energetic level of those emotions, because what most people don't realize is you have tertiary emotions, secondary emotions, and then primary emotions. And there might be some different takes on this certainly out there, but fear and shame are two of the, at least to my understanding, the root negative, let's say, emotions that drives so many behaviors. And so much of it is unconscious, even though there's we've done so much work on ourselves or you know, if someone's listening to this podcast, they're taking care of our, themselves. So much of the patterns, behaviors that we live out every single day are driven by unconscious beliefs that are underneath the surface. And from the negative perspective, fear and shame are two of like the root emotions that I and, and, and I know we tend to support people with. So I think it's really important to anchor that component in. And while we are absolutely going to go into some traditional approaches to it, and then how you differentiate and what you do to support people in the household. And I'm really, I'm anchoring on men, one, because the majority of the listeners are men, but also two, so much of my work, at least as much as possible, is to call men up. To call men up to be solid, effing, heart-centered leaders. And that, I mean, there's so much to that. So much to that. And when it comes to that, you know, I think one of the biggest things for men also, well, one, there's that piece that you mentioned earlier that so many men actually carry it unconsciously and then project the fear and the shame onto their partners. But now in the household or in the relationship, what advice can you give through your own direct experience with people and supporting people with this? How can men support their partners if this shows up? Or how do men even begin having this conversation and once again, if you're a man and you're listening, this is a call up for you. This is a call up to have an honest conversation first and foremost with yourself. And if you are truly looking for leadership, looking for depth, looking for connection in your relationship, conversations like these absolutely need to be had and need to be had from a safe place. If you truly want to answer the call of being the most embodied, powerful, and grounded man with solid integrity. You have to talk about this and you have to talk about those difficult discussions. So how or what advice can you give to men who really want to answer that call to step up in their life and their relationship and bring harmony to the household? Mm, I love this. Yes, to everything you just said. Um, I will say if a, a, a man's partner, if, if her his female partner comes home and she has a a positive screening for HPV. The first thing that you, I would suggest is to say nothing, but to grab her and give her a hug. Squeeze her. Let her feel 
that she is safe. And that, uh, that <laughs> will go far. Um, you're literally creating the container with your body. So she has that whole drive thinking, how am I going to tell my partner? What is he going to mm-hmm. think of me? What is he going to say to me? What, you know, what is this going to mean? Are we, is our sex life going to change? She's running through all these things. And she probably has in her mind, if she knows she has a great partner, like Mike Salemi or my partner Chase, maybe she's not worried, but it might run through her her mind. And I would say the majority of women are are hesitant or nervous to start having this conversation. Wrap her in a hug first for at least 10 seconds. Mm -hmm. Don't move for 10 seconds. Let her feel you literally containing her. Let her feel your heartbeat against hers. You know, look into her eyes, like give her a smile, show her that you are safe, that this is a safe place, first and foremost. After that, I would say sit down if it's if it's convenient for you. If you've got the hustle and bustle of kids, maybe it's not the right time, but find a time where it's just you two and you can sit down and you can say, you know what? All the men listening right now now know these statistics, how common it is. They also are aware now that it's it's not easy to know exactly where this exposure came from, whether it was from you or a past partner, or you were exposed to a partner, then you exposed it to your now wife or girlfriend. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you're a team now. Mm. And I would say behave as a team. So use we language we're going to get through this. We're going to figure this out. We're going to find solutions. I'm here for you, babe. I got you. We're going to we're going to do this together. We're going to figure it out together. You are not alone. I'm in this with you. That is so powerful. So she knows right off the bat that this is nothing that she did wrong. There's this is not a punishment. There's no judgment going on. Um, because the reality is most of us will be exposed to this. So I think starting there with the physical containment and then right up front, before she even has the the chance to say anything or any of her fears, just be like, hey, babe, whatever you want to tell me, that's great. I just want you to know this is a completely safe place. And whatever it is, we're going to get through it. We're going to get through it together. We're going to figure this out together. That statement, we're going to figure this out together, is powerful. It's huge. I would star, star, star that language. And then from there, follow through on your word. Um, I would never bring it up in a an inflammatory way. I would never um, use it as ammo to hurt your partner because you know this is a sensitive spot, sensitive area. I, I hate that I even have to say that, but unfortunately that happens in relationship where you know what your partner's sensitive point is and you dig into it because you want to poke or because it's a charged conversation or because maybe they hurt you first. Well, it's like, well, I'm going to poke that wound. Do not, do not, do not do that. That is not helpful or productive. And then, so what is productive is following through on, on your word. And if she engages in different lifestyle changes. Maybe she wants to change the types of food that she's eating. Maybe she hears that, okay, nutrition is really important for the immune system, for the immune system health. I'm going to prioritize organic whole food nutrition. Join in with her 
and make your meals together. Focus on that nutrition together. Maybe, um, you know, maybe on the movement piece, movement is so critical for a healthy body and maintaining a healthy immune system, but not too much, not too little. We know that. And so coming up with a plan like, hey, how can we engage in healthy movement together on a daily basis? Maybe it's sitting down together and in a in your morning quiet time, like sitting together for 10 minutes and just in stillness and meditating together and allowing that, that stillness um, to inform your body that you're safe, that you are home, that you are whole, that you are loved, and you can regulate the nervous system with breathing together. There's so many options for people to engage in healthy immune system support together and make it a team effort. And I could go on and on, but I'll, I'll stop there for you. Well, you said some powerful stuff. And before Lauren and I got married, one of my biggest focuses for almost a year, whether it was in uh, coaching work that I was receiving or plant medicine ceremonies or breath work, wherever it was, there was a recognition that I had lived so much of my life selfishly. And I understand why. Like it was just me, I was focusing on my business, all that sort of stuff. But I realized that if I wanted to have the relationship that I always dreamed of, that word that you shared right there, team, was going to need to be the primary focus. And so for almost a year time before I got the full body yes, that she was my one and the partner I wanted to do this life with. And that's an important thing to recognize men and, and women. Like when you're in partnership, you do life together. And that energy of team is so, so, so important, especially when it's very easy, like you were saying, to blame, to shame the other. And so harnessing that, looking at that from all the different ways, what is life going to look like? What is life going to feel like? What are the conversations you're going to have? Because yes, that can foster a healthier relationship among both partners, but also now having a son who's eight months old, as you know super well, like we are modeling to whether it's our kids or other children or you know nieces and nephews, we are modeling through the way we act, through our communication, through the way we show up, what it is to be team, what it is to create safety, what it is to have those challenging discussions. And that is so critical, and in my opinion, is probably one of the, the biggest foundations to a healthy relationship. And at least in the, the lineage that I've studied and, and really resonate with now, this is different. Different people present this slightly differently, but the masculine, as you know, there's a masculine and feminine in all of us. It's not gender specific. And one of the things with the masculine is the masculine is that structure. It is the container that holds the feminine in us and then holds the feminine in our partners. And so if the masculine is the mountain, the feminine is the water. And so I so appreciate what you said, holding our ladies, holding them, embracing them 10 seconds, minute, go 30 seconds, whatever, whatever it is. But show them from a felt perspective that you've got their back. And I guarantee you, or I'd be willing to bet anything, that will be money in the bank for a long-term, healthy, sustainable relationship. And so all of this stuff is spiritual work. All of this stuff is a call for us to grow mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. And this just so happens to be the thing that might provide that opportunity. So super important to anchor that in. 
Now, as we transition, Mimi, to what are some of the traditional approaches to supporting women with this? If they were to go to the, the traditional route to an MD or wherever someone would go, what are the traditional ways that this is handled and approached? And then I want to transition to how do you uniquely support people, especially with your work with Dr. Nathan? Yeah. So if someone gets diagnosed, the probably what they will hear first from their gynecologist, if this is a woman we're talking about, <clears throat> is, okay, you're HPV positive, come back in six months or a year and we'll retest you. So this is the first non-solution. This is a, a solution that's that's not actually a solution. It's a waiting game, unfortunately. Um, it is true that the immune system can clear it and maybe she comes back in a year and it's it's cleared. It's gone. Great. But there's still a subset of people that won't be clear. So how does she know if she's in the subset of people that will be clear or won't be clear? So what this does is it creates a, a certain level of anxiety in the person, in the woman, <clears throat> she's wondering, you know, laying awake at night, wondering, what am I supposed to do? Is there anything that, you know, that I can do to help my body? How can I, am I, am I supposed to have sex with my partner? Like, how do I even talk about this? Is there something that I can take? Is the, the shot safe? All of these things come into the, the woman's mind. And in that year, it can be a high level of anxiety, I hear from women all the time. I've had this for two, three, five years, and I have been so stressed about this. I've been low key stressed for the last five years about this thing. So the waiting game is not a solution. The doctor might sound sort of like nonchalant about it, like, oh, yeah, it's no big deal. Yeah, HPV positive. She's probably diagnosing multiple people every day with how common it is. So to her, it might not be a big deal, right? But to the woman, it, it is and, and can be a very big deal. The second solution that's actually not a solution is the shot. I'm trying to not say the V word, but it's, it goes by the name of Gardasil. And they, they oftentimes um, recommend this for women who just tested positive, even though on the CDC website itself, on the HPV page, it says verbatim, this shot will not clear an existing HPV infection. In fact, a lot of the research and data shows that there might be negative efficacy with this shot if someone has already been exposed to HPV. What that means is if someone's been exposed to HPV and then they get the shot, what they find in the studies is that there's actually a higher chance that that person will develop cervical dysplasia, uh, which means, you know, mutated or damaged cells on the, on the cervix that can lead to cervical cancer. So that negative efficacy and the fact that the CDC itself says it will not clear it, why is this being recommended? Well, they say, I wanted to, I wanted to make sure my patient felt like she was doing something, that she felt like she was being proactive. In my opinion, when the body is overstressed, overtaxed, overwhelmed, and for some reason can't clear this HPV thing, the last thing that the body needs is a hefty dose of aluminum, which is one of the most toxic substances on the planet. Um, so that's my hot take there. <laughs> that's the second non-solution. The third non-solution is what's called a LEAP procedure, L-E-E-P, which is loop electrosurgical excision procedure. 
This is a situation where they have they've seen some cervical dysplasia, some mutated or damaged cells on the cervix. They recommend a LEAP procedure where they go in, they put a speculum in, and they actually take a hot wire and kind of scoop out part of the cervix that is damaged. This is a problem. It's There's so many issues with this that don't get talked about, where women think that this is going to clear the HPV when it's, it's not. It's What it's doing is it's basically like walking into your doctor and having them freeze off the wart on your hand. Well, that wart can it's probably going to come back because you're not addressing the inner world. You're not doing anything to support the body in removing or clearing the virus. So I've heard from women that have this procedure and then the cervical dysplasia comes back because in their mind, they think that they're good. They think that it's been removed. They think that it's been treated when in fact it hasn't. All of that, plus the fact that you're taking away a, a body part, you're taking away a portion of the cervix, which is critically important when a woman, when we're talking about fertility, we're talking about labor and delivery. One of my really good friends had this procedure done when she was younger and kind of forgot about it and went into labor. And because of the scar tissue that was there, her cervix wasn't able to open up the way that it needed to. And she had a lot of complications. She bled a lot and she had to be basically rushed to the hospital. So it can affect things like pregnancy and fertility as well. Also with this, the cervix is intimately involved in a woman's sexual experience and sexuality, sensuality, what she's feeling in her body. I just spoke to a woman yesterday that had this procedure and she said her cervix was numb for years. That's pretty rough for a woman. And in, you know, in, it just, it like breaks my heart. Um, And this is what I mean by women or people thinking that they don't have a lot of options. So they go this route immediately when the majority of these cases can and do regress on their own with simple support for the body and the immune system. So how many of those cervixes could have been saved or preserved or kept intact where the doctor or the provider could have been like, hey, you know what? Let's work on what's your lifestyle like? What's your sleep like? What kind of foods you're eating? Are you taking any vitamins or supplements? Like, how are you, you know, like get to know the person and give them some feedback. But of course, you and I know that that's not how the system works. That's not how, unfortunately, most doctors are trained. And so they're not receiving that information. Um, So those are three solutions that are actually not solutions. Wow. And what are you guys doing right now to do your part in addition to sharing information like this podcast? So what does your approach entail? And I'd love to hear a little bit about not just why you teamed up with Dr. Nathan Riley, who is a gangster. Shout out (laughs) to Dr. Nathan, one of my favorite people in the world, my brother. Uh, What are you guys doing and what have you created to support uh, people with this? Yeah, about a year ago, you know, we were seeing the same types of things. Of course, he's a holistic OBGYN. So he's had the clinical experience of working with women who are HPV positive, who have cervical dysplasia and even cervical cancer. And he's also had these conversations with men as well. Um, So we got together about a year ago and we were just so fed up with these stories that were coming to us, not the stories themselves, but the fact that they even were there. And the fact that they were even coming to us and that there was this huge lack in education and support. And we were like, dude, we need to do something about this. 
Like we need to support women in a concrete way on every level, physical, emotional, mental, relational, and spiritual. Like we can do this. We've been doing it. I've been doing this for four years with women in a one-on-one kind of approach. I just don't have the capacity or the space to help every woman that comes to me one-on-one. There's just not enough hours in the day with the hundreds or maybe even thousands of women that have have come to me over these last few years. So we were like, okay, we're going to create an evergreen asset that can literally help any woman and her partner uh, in the world. So we created this program called Clear and Free. This is an eight-week online course that really on the front end focuses on education, deep education of HPV, the shot that shall not be named, and also um, the holistic solutions that any woman or any person can, can take into their life. Not as, oh my gosh, I'm flogging myself I can't do anything right. I must be doing something wrong. That's not the approach we're taking. From the beginning, we inform people that this is actually an invitation for you to evaluate your lifestyle with curiosity and compassion for yourself. We get these invitations to evaluate our life in all different types of packages. For me at 26, the invitation to evaluate was a divorce. For my mom, it was at 40 years old with breast cancer. For you, it might have been something different. For Chase, it was adrenal fatigue at 20, 27 years old. We, we all receive these invitations, the, maybe the pain teacher, as Paul Check would call it. The pain teacher shows up not as a punishment, but to get your attention and to, to, to put your awareness on this thing. And uh, specifically with HPV, it's like we know that the body has the innate intelligence to heal itself. When you cut your arm or slice your finger, you know, uh, as long as it's not super deep, you don't have to ask your body to heal. It knows how to heal. You don't have to do anything. It does it on its own. And a week later, it's fine, right? That intelligence exists everywhere in the body. We just have to get out of its way, remove some of the barriers to healing, and then add in the the real support, the the additive factors that are going to really benefit and support your immune system in a really healthy way. So that's we we go through all of that in the course, and we we support on every level, um, so that the the person who is going through this navigating feels like they have a literal guide holding their hand, walking them through this time tested process that we're making available to everyone. And, and I can go deeper into some of the deliver, deliverables of the course, but I'll stop there for now. I appreciate you sharing that. And to anchor back into, I super appreciate the fact that you have a component of the program, one or two modules or whatever it is on the relational component. Because once again, like this can be, if, if approached from a heart-centered place, and the place of teamwork, like was been a lot of our discussion today, this can be medicine, you know, and, and medicine doesn't always taste good going down. But man, if those most challenging things in life, this may be the initiatory or initiation experience that gets someone to wake up. And I was recently, I'm going to do a podcast on this, but I was having a conversation with um, my men's work mentor, who I've been a part of uh, his work for a while. And I was asking him and I was like, how do you define initiation? Like, what does it mean to you? 
And I'm going to paraphrase, but he said something very short, very concise, and it blew me away. And it was a real initiation is when there's no going back, no going back to the former self. And so if we can approach this as medicine, the pain teacher shows up also as a gift. And if you can take that approach and approach it like team and have a plan and have open conversations, this has the potential and the power to bring you closer than you ever imagined to your partner and to the life, once again, calling men up specifically, to the life that I think every, not just women, but healthy, grounded, loving relationship needs to be rooted in. So love that. And so you said it's an eight-week course. Would you mind sharing a little bit of the deliverables? I will include, obviously, the link in the show notes for people to to refer to. But what are some of the deliverables that someone's going to get when they participate in the program? Yeah, so it's self-guided. So we have created um, over 70 modules and lessons for people um, speaking to the education piece, the physical, the mental, emotional, relational, and spiritual. So every week you'll have new content to guide yourself through. And then we also, we have exercises, we have um, auditory exercises, we have journal entries, we have reflective questions, we have partner conversations, we have PDFs for extra resources. We also are offering... We're offering um, the first bottle of immune Intel AHCC completely free for the for people who want to use that in their healing journey. You get a free bottle. You just you know pay for shipping and and it, it it's free to you. And then there's also six monthly calls with Nathan and myself where you have extra support. If there's something that you're stuck on or you have questions about, or you just need extra support, we are both there um, once a month for a group call to support you however you need it. And then also, you know, speaking to one component that we've already established is very important, the the, the component of community, mm-hmm. how important it is to, to not feel alone. And that's one thing that's sorely missing in the HPV education space is people who are open about, you know, sharing their experience. And so you know that every woman in this community is navigating the exact same things that you are. You feel seen, you feel heard, and and you're able to bounce ideas and emotions and stories off of each other and just have that regular reminder that like, girl or guy, you're not alone. There's people that are right beside you who are navigating this as well. So those are some of the some of the deliverables and details of the Clear and Free program. Hell yeah. Thank you <laughs> so much for the work that you're doing, my friend. And you know, I know we haven't got to connect too much in person, but we've been I've always appreciated you from afar and and so just want to say anchor back again. Thank you so much for the work that you're doing, you and Chase, you and Dr. Nathan Riley. And as we wrap up the show, if, for example, someone did come home and they got screened with HPV, is there one takeaway that you'd like to leave people with in terms of the the best next step to take when they come home or once they have that? What would be a, a take-home message that you want to leave people with? Yeah, it's a good question. I would say if somebody's just been diagnosed, I would say, don't give up. You can heal. Trust the innate intelligence that exists in in your magical body 
And if you are feeling pressured or cornered to go ahead with any sort of treatment or procedure, I would just say in 99% of cases, you have ample time to really sit back, sit with your intuition, self-reflect, talk to some people. Heck, just DM me. <laughs> DM me, Mimi underscore the medicine, and we can talk and I can I can help you with what those next steps look like. But I would say don't move forward with any procedure or treatment, quote unquote treatment, that you don't feel like is a hell yes in your body. Um, you have time and just slip into my DMs. I answer all of them myself. And I would love to hear from anyone who is navigating this. This is honestly, you know, Paul talks about your one love, your dream. This is my purpose right now. This is my dream is to help as many people as possible who are navigating this um, as I can. And and I want to say, you know, a thousand cervixes is my goal. Amazing, Mimi. Well, thank you so much for your time and sharing with me and with all the listeners. Super appreciate you. And uh, I wish you a beautiful day, my friend. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow the podcast on Apple and leave a review. It means a lot. We all have a path. And I'd love to hear how this podcast has inspired you in some way to live yours.